welcome to the season opener. It's time for First Pitch with the Seven Innings Podcast crew. Beth Mowens, Holly Rowe, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, Kayla Bro, Jenny Dalton Hill, our entire cast of characters is back for a brand new season. If you've got your lineup card, you can follow along. We've got all kinds of good stuff coming up, including our preseason poll, our preseason All-America team for Seven Innings Podcast, and of course, we love to shag some stats, and we know you do too. We're going to hear from Kelly I. We're going to hear from Sydney Sherrill. It's all on the season opener of the Seven Innings Podcast. Jumping right in at Seven Innings Podcast on your social media, folks. Follow along. Number one on our lineup card. Time to hit the reset button. If you remember where we were when we were last together, it was unfortunately the uh, early end of the regular season and not a trip to the Women's College World Series, Holly Rowe. It was sadness all around, but we are entering the dawn of a new day with high expectations and with a lot of positivity. I would like to start my seven innings podcast career in 2021 by saying I am not a cat (laughs) and I am recovering from my depression that I suffered. I'm going to just tell you, I sat on my couch and watched old women's college world softball games the weekend that we should have been at the world series. And I cried. I was in a physical deep and dark depression. So I can't imagine how these softball athletes and coaches and people who have devoted their life to this sport must have felt that it's been 11 months since these young women played in a game. I'm just celebrating and excited for every person out there who gets to swing a bat or hear the sound of the ball coming off the bat this weekend. I just want to cry that everybody gets back to playing softball. Smitty, I know you miss uh, hanging out a little bit in Oklahoma city as we always do. And uh, times that we missed, but uh, so much to be excited about as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's um, the players. It's the stories. We're, we're one big softball family. I miss our ESPN family. You know, we're 200 strong when we're in Oklahoma City and just saying hi to folks in the in the food tent and the trucks. It just it becomes a part of your soul. And, and when it's ripped away from you suddenly, you really do mourn it. So I'm, I'm excited on many different levels for all of us. So I could say that a little selfishly, but especially for the athletes getting on the field and the opportunity for them to go out there and play the sport that they love. Let's sprinkle the infield with the rest of our cast of characters. Uh, Scarborough, your thoughts on the off season and getting ready for a new year. Yeah. Um, I think the fans are ready, Beth. I mean, on Twitter and on social media, like I just looked to there and everybody's just so ready for the season. So I think that it seems like it was a long off season, obviously, and coaches and teams had to get super creative. The fans had to sit and wait for a really long time until this week and this moment. And I think that we're going to have like the most excited fans that we've ever had before coming into the season and they're just ready for it. And Amanda, going on that off of fans, it's super interesting because here in California, a lot of stadiums aren't allowing any fans inside. So I think it's going to be a completely different energy in the ballpark. And I think our jobs are going to be a lot more important. I think Twitter is going to be very active. And I think we're going to see that excitement seep into a lot of social media excitement for the fans. I think you're right. And teams have had to be really creative on how they've gotten to know each other in the pandemic. But more than anything, Coaches that I've talked to throughout the country have said this reset has really made the teams and all the players feel so excited to play the game again. Division one softball can be such a grind. It becomes a job. And it seems like a lot of these players right now are taking the approach of just being eight years old and running back out on the field again. Yeah, Jenny, I think you're so right. I think the biggest thing when you hear 
all these coaches and players talking is that they're just not going to take anything for granted. They had such a, a damaging experience last year. So all of them are going to come back hungrier. All of them put in so much work individually in the off season to get to where they are today. And they're all going to be experienced. They're going to be resilient. You're going to see some great leadership come out of it. And it's going to be an incredible, probably one of the best possible years we've had in college softball with all of the talent across the board. Conversation still to come on the seven innings podcast about the COVID effect and also some of the new faces that we're going to see around the country a little bit later on. Holly Rose going to lead us off now on our, uh, our, our nod to uh, David Bowie with the changes coming to softball. Got some rules, a very active transfer portal as well. Holly Rowe. Yeah, the transfer portal has been insane. So really check your rosters to see who's playing where. Um, It's some of the most activity we've ever seen in this sport as rosters try to get organized. I've been trying to count every roster for the teams that um, I've been talking to coaches and players so far this season. And I'm seeing rosters right around 25 players. So that is a lot to manage. And those are much higher rosters than we're typically used to. Here are a couple of rules changes and I'll go very quick. The number one that I think is a big deal is the concussion protocol and re-entry of that. So they're allowing for a removal from the game so that they can be evaluated by medical staff and personnel, but that does not mean that they cannot return to the game. They will not be disqualified. You'll remember in softball, usually you only get pulled from a game once unless you're the flex player. Um, So that will be really big that you could come out of a game, get looked at and still go return to play if you are uh, deemed fit to play. The other thing that I think is really huge that's kind of funny for um, visual purposes is because of COVID protocols, team personnel will be prohibited from congregating around home plate. So if someone hits a dinger, don't look for that fun home run pile around home plate. We are trying to socially distance even when celebrating home runs. And third, in my opinion, I think another huge, and I mean huge deal is this. Uh, Someone just said, we think we're in, I think it was Kayla said, we're in for one of the best seasons in college softball because we kept all of these seniors plus added the talented freshman class coming in from high school. We have more talent than ever. And guess what? We are not bat testing until January 1st of 2022. Might I suggest we have some hot bats and bats will be smoking this season. It's partially a financial issue because they don't want to have people go around and testing bats and so forth. So I think hot bats, hot girl, hot girl summer is coming your way. And, and right on cue, the boo hoo hoo from the pitchers in house Scarborough and Smitty. I know got some words on, on the pitching change as well. (laughs) Well, I think I'm most upset about the no bat testing, but um, (laughs) I think that, uh, I think another interesting aspect of the changes, um, Amanda, I don't know how you feel about this, is going to be for the pitchers taking the sign from the dugout. They can take it behind, but they can't look at the wristband until they get onto the pitching rubber. So if they're like me, I'm, I might be like squirrel and run off and I'd be like, wait, what numbers did she give me? Was that a 432 or was that a 234? <laughs> so I think we could have a lot of people going, a lot of pictures giving the uh, revolution of the fingers, like, give me the sign again, give me the sign again. Okay. So one of the reasons I didn't include that in my rules expert update right there is I don't understand it myself. We were just on a call with the NCAA and they're going through that rule change. Can you just start from scratch and explain it to us? Because I think it's a little confusing. Okay. Um, so basically you, you have to, you can take the sign from, um, the dugout from the coach so they can relay it in whatever it is. It could be nose, you know, chin, or it could be number system, but you cannot look at your wristband until you are in the pitching position, which means that you have, 
uh, your one foot. Remember, it's now not just one foot on the pitching rubber. The back foot can be off. So, but you have to be in the position uh, to be able to pitch, which supposedly I think the the premise of this is to, to help speed up the game a little bit. So there's not as much, um, uh, you know, sign back and forth. Uh, you also cannot can only take the sign from one spot. So I, I believe, uh, Amanda, um, you're not allowed to take the sign from the catcher as well once you've taken it from the dugout. I think what we're finding out is that maybe we need a little bit more clarity <laughs> about the umpire rule because that it is a big change and it's important, Michelle, because an illegal pitch could be at stake if you do it yep. the wrong way. So that's one thing that we learned from the call and talking to the umpires is if you look in at your wristband and you're off of the pitching plate, that could be an illegal pitch. You have to be on the pitching plate and take or appear to take the sign. I think that's like the most important things to know about it. Um, now, a little bit more with the pitchers is that, is that this is a, a change from 2020, but you can now start with your stride foot off of the pitching plate, which we didn't really get to see um, the effects of that and how that was going to affect the pitchers in terms of speed. Like we were projecting at the beginning of last year, thinking that their velocity might be up. So I'm personally interested to see how that transpires from February, March, April, May, as their speed may continue to rise since they can start with the wider base and still start with their stride foot off of the pitching plate, which was new last year. And we're going to get to see it this year. Still. How did we just manage to make the whole designated hitter designated player discussion sound like the sane one in softball. <laughs> this is going to be fun to watch as the season progresses as every, everybody makes that adjustment. Which moves us to number three on, on our lineup card. If you're following along at Seven Innings Podcast, uh, Smitty's going to get us into some of the pandemic effect. You know, limited FaceTime, limited practice time, uh, the the mental health of the players, and and we've already touched upon Michelle. We can start with that extra year of eligibility and how players and coaches are going to manage huge rosters with a depth chart that at some positions could be three or four deep. Absolutely. And you know, Beth, you said it the best manage a lot of times in our sport of softball, we have what coaches, we have head coaches. A lot of these coaches are now going to really be in that management role of trying to take care of the mentality of the athlete, the playing time of the athletes. When you have roster size, some of these rosters are up 30 athletes deep. So trying to keep everybody happy is going to be um, very interesting. But I, one of the things that I've noticed talking with the coaches leading up into the, the opening weekend is how many coaches have said that their, their kids, there is an attitude of gratitude. Every one of these kids is so grateful for every day, every practice, because, you know, we talk about it all the time. You hear your parents say it, like, you better be grateful for this because it could just be taken away from you. And you're like, yeah, sure. Well, that happened to every single softball player last year. And you can see it. You can hear it that there is a huge, huge amount of gratitude for people to be back out on the field. But COVID is gonna be very interesting. I think we don't know what we don't know yet. And another piece of that COVID situation that we've all encountered is that these coaches have also had to navigate some pretty difficult situations with social, social justice, civil unrest, mental health, and a lack of connection that all of these athletes have taken for granted. I mean, you've been able to meet with each other in years past and deal with the situations. And now, you know, they call me my age, the boomer generation, right? My kids would always say, okay, boomer. Well, now I respond to my kids as okay, zoomer, because zoom calls have become the thing of COVID. You know what guys, I was thinking about this and I was thinking what teams, what programs do I think that COVID actually helped? 
And I think Oklahoma got a whole lot better because of COVID. If we remember last year, G. Juarez was hurt. Nobody really knew what was going on. She was hanging. And they have two of the top freshmen in the country who we'll get to later, and Jada Coleman and Tiara Jennings. So I know that a lot of programs have had to battle some, you know, a, a lot of stuff. But I think Oklahoma actually got better in 2021 because of COVID. And I know everybody's going to talk about UCLA this year, but I have a feeling that Oklahoma will be ranked the top program at some time this year over UCLA. So I wanted to follow up on that, what you just said, because I actually spoke with Patty Gasso today and, you know, she, they're loaded. They are absolutely loaded. Think about this. They get basically two all Americans type players back in G Juarez, Nicole Mendez and Riley Boone. So they have gotten players back from injury, but they're loaded and, I know a lot of us haven't gotten to get out and be around softball teams and practices like we normally would be, but I actually got to go visit with the Oklahoma softball team when I was there for a football game this season and they were playing a game of pickup flag football. Let me just tell you this. It's the most competitive team Patty Gasso's maybe ever had. And I mean, competitive stud athletes, super competitive, and now they're healthy. No, that's a great point, Holly, to, you have to think about with the size of the rosters, the competitiveness on these teams, it's going to be a complete change. I know the majority of coaches are dealing with a larger roster size than, they, than they've ever had, but then you have this group of incoming true freshmen that had a mentality of, okay, I'm going to go earn my spot. And now it's twice as hard because nobody left. And so the competition is just going to skyrocket. And that's when we talk about, you see the wealth of some teams like a UCLA, like Oklahoma, it's going to be really interesting to see how some of the already successful teams from the last two years get even stronger. Well, and Beth, I think one of the, the things that coaches are already talking about too, is because of these larger roster sizes, they were able to inter squad scrimmage and play super competitive games in the fall against each other. So while they weren't able to play junior colleges like they normally do or have a short fall season, the fact that they were able to hit off of their own pitchers, they're saying has only been making them better and stronger and feel more prepared actually coming into the season. And you mentioned championship team, Holly, in Oklahoma, but don't forget Missouri is now in the mix this year because that they technically were able to get away with that penalty from Previous postseason ban. Missouri is back in the mix for postseason play. And one more thing, Amanda, about that competitiveness and being able to compete against one another. Hate to keep bringing up California. That's just where I'm at, where I'm at. But there are teams (laughs) like Cal Berkeley who literally canceled their opening weekend because they haven't got to practice at all. So there are teams in the South who have gotten to play a ton against one another. And there are teams on the West coast who legitimately haven't gotten to practice whatsoever. So it's going to, it's going to create a lot of conversation about the COVID effects and the impact long-term on the teams. Well, now's a good time to move into, you know, something else that, that coaches will have to deal with. And that's unique schedules. There are a couple of conferences that will only be playing um, amongst themselves. And there are several others now that are moving to four game series as opposed to three games, Amanda, which I, I would certainly think could impact pitching staffs, but also strategically how you're going to handle a four game series and how the selection committee is going to deal with a big 10 conference that won't be playing anybody outside. You know, that's where my mind goes to is already, of course, we all want to jump ahead to the postseason because we get so excited to be in Oklahoma City and then play the entire postseason. But my mind goes to the selection committee and it's already, let's say, dramatic on selection Sunday in in terms of who gets in, who got a seed, who's top eight, who's top 16. And we've already had like 
pretty heated conversations about, you know, why somebody got a seed and, and looking at strength of schedule and, and non-conference games and what they did in their conference play. And now you throw in the mix, the fact that a conference like the big 10 is only going to be playing each other. Like they're, they're not going to play any non-conference games, like pretty radical changes there. So my mind truly goes to the end of the year already and thinking about the selection committee and the conversations that they're going to have as the season goes on for what they're supposed to do, because the SEC is going to be business as usual. The big 12 is going to be business as usual. The ACC kind of little changes, not major. They cut their schedule by just like 10%. And then the PAC 12 Beth is one of those conferences that you mentioned. Uh, they're going to go to a four game series, but the catch is, which is going to make it so fun for us throughout the entire season to track. They're going to go to four game series, but that fourth game isn't going to count toward their conference standings. And that will be a double header that they play on the last day. So can we like hire somebody to keep charge of all of these conferences and schedules and how this is all going to work out? Because it's all very um, confusing and a little bit mysterious, but I, my mind goes toward the end of the year. And is that fourth game now going to be an opportunity for coaches to use players that don't get a chance to play in the three previous games? And then how does the committee handle that? What you got, Kayla? Yeah, it's interesting. And the SEC is kind of doing a similar thing where I know some teams that are not playing an opponent in their conference during actual conference season are going outside of conference in preseason and playing. I know LSU and Alabama are going to match up preseason and, and a few other teams here and there just to try and boost their strength of schedule and have a, a, an oppo opponent that is quote unquote safer and more in their region to play against. But um, I think one thing that the SEC was really adamant hearing from their coaches is they wanted a non-conference schedule because of how it affects their RPI. Because when you look at the selection committee that Amanda's talking about down the road, the committee really looks at your opponent's strength of schedule and your opponent's opponent's strength of schedule. So that kind of breaches outside of the bubble of say the big 10, that's only going to play each other. And they're going to be in this weird kind of morphed reality of, you know, who they played against and, and they're not going to have the experience of saying, okay, well, we have these common opponents that an SEC team, a PAC 12 team has played. So it's going to be really interesting. I don't envy the committee down the road because it's going to be a tough one this year, but I know it's really important to the SEC to play outside of their conference. You are listening to the Seven Innings Podcast. Beth Mullins, Holly Rowe, Michelle Smith, Amanda Scarborough, Jen Schroeder, Caleb Bro, Jenny Dalton-Hill, our season opener, first pitch. We're ready to start swinging. If you're following along at Seven Innings Podcast, we've got our lineup card. It is time now to move on to the preseason poll. The team that finished the year technically still as the defending champs. They were ranked number one to end last season after winning the national championship uh, two years ago, let's hear from the head coach of the top-ranked UCLA Bruins, Kelly I, Kelly Inouye Perez. Well, loaded with talent, the UCLA Bruins roster is, is just un unbelievable this year. So I'm just curious, Coach, how are you approaching the competitive nature of all of these superstars and who can actually make your lineup? You know, I, it's, first of all, it's a wonderful situation to be in as a coach, you know, to be able to have depth is one thing, but the level of talent is just outstanding. And I think the best part about it is it raises the standard for everybody. Um, the level of competition is a healthy competition. We know that UCLA softball is not just about any one player. We have to play as a team to be able to be successful and everybody is hopeful to be able to have great opportunity to participate. Our culture is our strength. 
and being able to understand that everybody brings value. So we have definitely some people that we feel are going to be really big, big impacts in the lineup. But we also have people that fill valuable roles that are going to be ready for their opportunity. Let it be a problem. I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a strength. We're also in a year that we recognize as we've seen other sports out there that people may go down during a weekend. And that's a reality. And depth is going to be our strength. We also have scheduling where we're going to play more double headers than we've had in the past. And being able to have depth is going to be, once again, our strengths. I'm fortunate to get phenomenal athletes that can be superstars in another program, but they choose to be here, work hard, and they're ready for their opportunity. Um, so it's going to be an exciting year for us. Paint a picture for me of some of your practices and scrimmages, just like how exciting and competitive has it been? I wish I could be a fan in the stands for this. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny because they're, they're, it's, it's great because they just love to play the game and they love to compete. And if you could hear the banter, going back and forth between the two of, you know, we'll pick teams and say, you know, and I'll say, okay, the blue team today. And we'll say it. And they start cheering and screaming like, yeah, like we're going, we're going down or you're going down. And they start talking trash. And I love the energy of just our ability to compete, but also how they love to compete with each other. Um, you know, so there's an excitement and there's an energy and there's a lot of trash talk that's going on, you know, it. which, which, which I love, but I think the best part about it is um, it just, really builds confidence in who we are and that we have great confidence in anyone. So we have a great deal of confidence in, in everybody plays a role and we got to buy into those roles and be the best version of yourself in that role. I love it. Okay. I'm going to rapid fire a couple of questions here for you. Go for it. I think the farthest West you go is Salt Lake city, Utah, your schedule staying very, very West coast based. And that's understandable. Any challenges or concerns about that? No, I mean, it's not ideal. You know, when we found out we weren't going back to the Florida tournament, um, you know, that was a that was unfortunate for us. But, we, you know, we've, we're kind of used to hearing how it's rolled out, that we've all been more regionally located with our schedules. I'm, you know, fortunate the Pac-12 coaches have been outstanding at collaborating to increase the amount of games in the Pac so we can have quality games. But we do realize that we're going to be limited regionally um, on the games that we're going to be able to play. I think the biggest adversity is we're going to be traveling by bus to a lot of places. Ah. So. <laughs> So, but I also, once again, you can flip every adversity into a positive where they're like, you know, that's instead of one movie, we're going to have two movies or, you know, the, the positives of, of how we're going to manage the safety of our, of our athletes is going to be, is going to be different. We always look forward to those opportunities to play those other conferences, the SEC and the ACC and the Big Ten and Big 12. Um, but it's not going to be our reality here in 2021 in the preseason. So, we're going to get after playing great softball and look forward to hope, getting that opportunity at the end of our season. Okay. And then my last quick question, and I know this is not a quick answer, but best you can, um, you get two Olympians back. And one of those is Rachel Garcia, the best pitcher in the country two years in a row. But Megan Faremo was also incredible. Give me an example of what your bullpens are looking like and how this pitching staff is really shaping up. Yeah. You know, I, I, first and foremost, what a great, situation to be in and I love I've said this many times that I love that Rachel and Megan get a chance to play together um, which I'm really excited about but I want to go back to 2020 and say just how proud I am of Megan Faramo. Um, you know I could go further back to say how proud I am of Rachel Garcia putting this program on her back and building not only her name but bringing UCLA softball back to that consistent um, uh, you know that consistent uh, attendance back at the World Series. But I'm also very proud of Megan Paramo. When, when Bubba and, and Rachel were chosen for the Olympic team, I think everybody did not know what UCLA softball would look like in 2020. 
And I remind Megan just the other day, I reminded her constantly of what she did do when every, when, when uh, we were, we were tested and, and how everybody thought one thing and she put uh, Megan Framo put UCLA softball on her back and man, she made a lot of noise in 2020. So this is not about Rachel um, versus Megan or who's going to be the one or, I mean, it is literally the fact that they get to tag team is going to be a big strength for us because the one thing that neither of them want is to be the only one and have to ride through a season. No pitcher wants that. So the fact that they have each other's backs and I credit Lisa Fernandez, Holly, a lot. She has created a culture in that bullpen with the pitchers and catchers and there's four pitchers and there's four catchers, but she has created a culture in there that they are their own little world. I mean, they have each other's backs. They are working harder than everyone. Their mental capacity, Lisa has them in tights and Lisa has them in sleeves and they're working harder. They're doing extra cardio, but they've created a, a really strong connection of, of being a unit. There is no who's going to get the ball. It's if you don't, then I will. And I'll have your back. You start, I'll finish. I'll, I mean, it's, it's almost to the point where we're like, okay, okay, you guys, we hear you. Okay. We hear you, but it, but it's also very fun. So that part of it, I couldn't be more proud of, we don't have that pitcher that wants to be all it, the one they are willing to do whatever it takes and they're going to support each other. That to me is a strength in the culture that Lisa's created with them, which for me as the head coach, I really look forward to us coming out as a unit versus I have to be the one that, okay, you're the one today, or you're the one today and have to deal with potentially the frustration of not being the starter. Oh, they're ready to go as a unit and whoever gets the ball, our goal is to win. And that's something that I'm, I'm, I'm proud because the mindset is there to do whatever it takes to be able to win a ball game. All right. So UCLA is there at the top. The PAC 12 is back bragging rights, baby. Jen Schroeder, they've got the three top spots. What jumps out to you about uh, the preseason poll? I mean, UCLA is absolutely loaded. You heard from Kelly I, talent is actually an issue. They don't even know who's starting. Our outfield has no idea who is going to start opening weekend. And then Washington, you've got Sis Bates as a leader. And Arizona, guys, with Deja coming back and getting to play with Alyssa Palomino Cordoza, those three teams are just loaded. But I have to say, one of my favorites is outside the pack, and it's Oklahoma. I think that they are going to give everybody a run for their money this year. Well, I think it's going to be um, an interesting year on many levels. I think that teams that can manage the, the, the COVID crisis and stay healthy be a big part of their success, not even uh, only within their their schedule, their conference schedule, but long-term. Because, I mean, we saw it in football, right? Your quarterback goes down for two weeks. Not only does it cost them the Heisman, it can cost you a national championship. So I think that I think that it will be interesting. The teams that learn to manage COVID and if, if there is an outbreak on the team, limiting how much it potentially affects the entire team. I love the fact that Patrick Murphy was very blunt and said, you know what? We can't have our entire pitching staff go down. So our pitchers can never be in the same in the locker room at the same time. There's only one allowed at a time. And players to your left or your right within the locker room as well they've got to be in certain positions. It's it very, it really is fascinating. It's almost like a, a, a science experiment, making sure that everybody stays healthy through the whole season. And it's going to definitely affect things. And speaking to that point, Michelle, I was speaking with Beth Tarina, the head coach at LSU. And she said, I don't know if this season you see a national champion that is the best team on paper more than anything. This may be the best manager of a staff to try to navigate through COVID and also get to all the way through Oklahoma City. 
your top five, UCLA, Washington, Arizona, Oklahoma, and LSU. The SEC has 10 ranked teams. The Big 12 has three in the top 10. And the group of five represented by Louisiana this year in, in the top 10. You've got a slew of transfers in there to make the Raging Cajuns a contender. Olympians have returned at UCLA and Arizona. Texas loses ace Miranda Ellish. She chooses to opt out. And we referred to this earlier. There are several teams that are happy to hit the reset button, Amanda Scarborough. Alabama, Florida State, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Arizona State. They all ended the season with seven, eight, nine losses last year and are ready to reset. Yeah, I think Tennessee is another one. They're starting this the preseason poll at 23, but I feel like Tennessee with um, Ashley Rogers being healthy and also a left-handed pitcher, Callie Turner, who took a lot of innings for them last year because of uh, Ashley Rogers injury. I feel like that Tennessee team is going to continue to move up, possibly even be a top 10 team when it's all said and done. And I think that too, we have talked about UCLA, Washington, Arizona, like the top five, but, and also Oklahoma, but LSU is starting at number five. And that's because they made so much noise last year. They were young. They had the best pitching staff in the country. And they also had a lot of just young talent that got that experience last year that they will bring into this year that I think that LSU could truly be a contender to make it to the world series. Well, and we've all seen that you need a pitching staff to make it all the way through Oklahoma city and get through that championship series. And LSU is really poised to have that happen for them. If they can keep everyone active and playing, and going back and talking about Tennessee, Amanda, not only do they get Ashley Rogers healthy, but they also get a transfer in from Arizona, Ivy Davis, who will come in and play shortstop for them, which has kind of been a hole for them in the past year because of that big loss of Megan Gregg to graduation the year before. And they were really shifting their infield around trying to find the right fit. So Ivy Davis comes in at just the right time. I also love what you're saying there about staffs, pitching staffs, because um, I talked to a lot of coaches, including Lonnie Alameda from Florida state this week. And she said, because of the way the schedule is set up with three and four game series, you're going to see a very different way that softball uses pitchers. Now that you're going to have a middle in uh, middle reliever, a closer, you're going to have very, you know, we used to see one ACE or maybe two different ACEs that would start on Friday, start on Saturday. Well, we're going to go to much more of a baseball model for how people are managing their pitching staffs. Mm -hmm. I think across the board, we saw Oklahoma do it a couple of years ago when they would start one page and then go to page Lowry to close and they could really manage their roster that way. But I think we're going to a much more full on baseball roster management with pitching staffs as we move forward this season because of the unique nature of the schedules. Very intriguing. The preseason poll is out. UCLA is the favorite, but uh, a lot of people chasing them. If you're on your lineup card, let's move on to number six and our uh, preseason All-America team, courtesy of the Seven Innings podcast. We've got one player at each field position. We gave the pitchers a little leeway, and we, we put a few players on our, on our utility squad that we can use in a lot of different options. Let's start out and let the debate begin our outfield Caleb bro who are our uh, preseason all-americans in the outfield again this is where I get excited Beth because this is all about the players and there's some incredible players in the outfield this was tough um, I have triple a for my outfielders so I have Aaliyah Jordan from UCLA 
Aaliyah Andrews from LSU and Alyssa Palomino Cordoza from Arizona. All really good. I think Aaliyah Andrews is a true speed triple threat. I think she's probably the best pure defensive outfielder on that list. And she's going to make some plays if she's anything like her sister, AJ Andrews. And we've seen a little bit of that so far. And then, I mean, Aaliyah Jordan and Alyssa Palomino Cordoza are just, they're really solid all around hit for average, hit for power, do a lot for, for both of those offenses. All right, that's a pretty good squad right there. The Triple A outfield are preseason All Americans: Aaliyah Jordan, Aaliyah Andrews, and Alyssa Palomina Cardoza. Let's move to the infield right now. Shro in the no and uh, uh, Jenny Dalton Hill. Let's let's go around the horn. Well, let, let's let's start with the catchers first. The backstop, the most important player on the field. Jenny, who you got? Well, I can't steal her thunder. Come on, <laughs> this is a Jen Schroeder thing. I can't. <laughs> Talk about catchers. No, I'm sorry. I should have referenced Jen instead of Jenny. That's my bad. My bad. <laughs> it's okay because it's going to be an Arizona athlete. So I understand why you went to Jenny, but we cannot have a catcher all American without mentioning Deja Mulipola. Yeah. She was gone last year with team USA. She's a 320 career hitter, a former Johnny bench award winner, but more than that, Deja's composure behind the plate, the way that she leads is the calm nature that I think Arizona needs to compete for a national championship. She is such a, a leader behind the plate. When you watch her, the game feels calm. You know, when she's up to bat, something can happen. She's just a special type player. And I'm so happy that she gets a chance to compete with one of her best friends, Alyssa Palomina Cordoza, and they get to finish their career of playing for, I think like 13 or 14 years together in travel <laughs> Amazing. college. Take, take so us right over. Take us right over to first base, Jen. Who's our preseason All-American? Who's got this so one? Jenny? At first base, we've got Allison Fibri over at Oklahoma State. Last year, she hit 382. She had 11 home runs, which was fourth in the NC2A, and she was first in the Big 12. So not only does she have power, which you like to see in a first baseman, but defensively, she is solid over there. And I think Oklahoma State has found a gem in the transfer that came over to them from Georgia. And our second baseman is going to be Janae Jefferson. We have not given a lot of time on this podcast to Texas, and they had an incredible year last year. Uh, Janae Jefferson hit 554 last year with 10 stolen bases. I think she's someone that tends to get looked over, really, when we talk about top players in the country. But she is just a mainstay there at second base and a special type player. Well, and most second basemen do get overlooked because they're position players that don't necessarily hit for power, and but they do have speed. So I am going to stand up for all those second basemen out there. You are important, and I am here for you. So um, when it comes to our shortstop, I think this is a unanimous decision across the whole country, Sis Bates from Washington. She comes in last year missing 10 games because of the concussion that she sustained in Clearwater. So she missed those 10 games, but even in doing that, she just is full of web gems, jaw droppers, she, the range that she's able to possess. Her first step is always the right place. And so for me, she's got speed with 28 um, career stolen bases and eight career home runs. So not a lot of power, but she spreads the ball throughout the entire field. And Sis Bates, you're gonna, if you like defense, she's the one you're going to want to watch. She's so fun to watch. 
And finally, our last infield All-American is going to be Sydney Sherrill at third base from Florida State. She's the type of player who just embodies swag. Like you watch her and she almost makes you a little nervous because she's so competitive in the best way. A 370 hitter. Uh, she won a national championship in 2018 with the Florida State Seminoles. And I mean, I think that infield is one of the best in NCAA history as far as those players that we just picked, Jenny. Scary and, good and Yep, and Sydney Sherrill uh, chatted with our Holly Rowe. Let's check it out. Let's talk a little bit about competition. Um, I think competition is healthy. Sometimes it's hard for young people to really get, grasp that idea, but 25 kids on your roster, you're going to have to really complete for playing time. How has that dynamic um, been kind of a good one for your team of let's compete? Like we might have the best season of softball we've ever seen because it's been so competitive to get on the field. Yeah, I, it definitely has been a little different experience than past years because we do have so many players and um, a little bit more competitive competitiveness for sure. But I think the main thing that we've been trying and we've always coaches always instilled it in us is, yeah, we want to compete for a position and we want to, you know, compete against each other. But really, we just want to do what's best for the team to beat another team, because at the end of the day, that's what's important. And a, a lot of our team, most of our team has that mindset. We understand that. So um, it has been super competitive, but I think we are just so ready to play someone else that we want to win. So we know that we're going to put whoever's best out on the field to make that happen. And, um, you know, we have always said you need one through 22 to get us through the season. We've always said that now it's one through 25, 26. I think we have, I can't even keep count at this point. We have so many, but um, oh, no, I've been obsessively looking at it. So I looked at your team photo and I counted 26, but the official roster on the website is 25. So I, I don't actually know. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I think it's 20, 25. Yeah. 25. Okay, good, good, good. All right. So you have always had such a great reputation as a good athlete. You're great with your glove, but there's something really special about you when you step into that batter's box. What are some of your goals that you want to be as a hitter this year? What are you envisioning for yourself? Um, yeah, for myself, I think hitting, obviously it's the hardest thing in the game to do. In my opinion, it's just, you fail more times than you succeed. So that's just getting over that part is the hardest, but I really feel mentally probably the strongest I have felt up at the plate this year, just because, you know, last year I had a lot of mental struggles with, I wasn't, didn't even care about like hitting the ball, but I, it was in my head. Oh, I'm not, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough to even hit the ball over. So I've always done that, hit the ball over the fence or hit a double. So like, how do I keep that same? So mentally last year was just different. And now this year, I feel like I've finally got to the point where mentally I'm just, I'm okay with where I'm at. And now it's just a battle between me and the pitcher. And, um, you know, I'm trying to keep that same mindset within my team and carry along the other younger hitters along with me. And, um, I think failure, the biggest part of hitting, obviously, like I just said, is the failure part and trying to instill that in my teammates that are a little bit younger, like don't carry it back onto the field when you go to defense. Um, you know, you get more at-bats. We get a million at-bats a season um, to get down on. If you strike out your first one, you get three left in the game, hopefully. And to take that mindset into the next at-bats, you're only setting yourself up for a lesser chance to succeed. So um, I just try to always keep that mindset in and try to carry that within the team. And um, seems we have a lot of talent this year though, too. So we're, we're going to 
I get excited just talking about it because I feel like we're going to be so good. But So we've got the AAA in the outfield, Muli Polo behind the plate, Fibri at first, Jefferson at second, Bates at short, and Cheryl at third. That's an awfully good defensive group behind our pitching staff, Scarborough and Smitty. We had to narrow it down. Since some teams are playing four-game series, give us the four pitchers on our preseason All-America team. Okay, yeah. So um, I let's go one at a time. So Gabby Plain is a veteran for Washington. And you think back to last year, her year was 2.76 last year. She wasn't the Gabby Plain that we've all come to know and seen compete in the circle and keep around a one or, or lower than a one ERA. But it was because she was traveling for the national team at, for representing Australia. And she was trying out and then going back and forth from Australia and then missing school and having to catch up on school. So she went through a lot at the beginning of last year and didn't get off to the, the start that we usually see her get off to. But I, I project her to have a good turnaround and to be able to, to be the Gabby plane in the circle with her nasty movement, her drop, her rise, her curve that we've come to expect. Michelle, I'll, I'll ping pong us. So who, who's a second one on our list? All right. Well, I'm going to go to um, Montana Fouts, uh, Alabama. And, you know, you think about her freshman year and how outstanding she was, did not walk a batter until her 31st or 32nd inning. Uh, truly incredible. Struggled a little bit last year, early in the year. Again, we talked about uh, with the COVID reset, some teams who it, it helped out. And I know Montana worked very hard on the offseason on her changeup. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I think she's uh, she's down for a, a new day and is going to come out and be an explosive uh, pitcher like she was her freshman year, locating pitches better. So I've got Montana fouts. Okay. And then I have a fighting cowgirl, Carrie Eberly from Oklahoma state. She was a pitcher last year. You guys, she was turning all kinds of heads like her ERA last year, point four six, And that was, you know, over the course of several games, it's not like we only played five or six games. I mean, there were teams that played 25. So she truly stood out last year, especially in the big 12. You talk a lot about G Juarez, but Carrie Eberly, she's a pitcher who wants the ball. Kenny Gajewski said the coolest quote ever about her. She has the biggest guts you've ever seen. She's uh, he said of Carrie Eberly. So type of pitcher that could be anybody. And I think she's going to have a great year. Who's our fourth Michelle. Well, I'm going to have out. the biggest guts we've ever seen after I, COVID. You got to, you got to make sure the plurals thing? on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the last picture, I'm going to head out to, uh, to UCLA and I am going to say no, not Garcia, but Megan Faramo. And I know a lot of people are like, how can you not pick Garcia? Well, Gar- you know, she swings the bat. We're going to wait her. for it. Wait We're for it. We're going to push her into another category. <laughs> I, I just had to preface that. So people don't get all bent out of shape. Um, but Faramo think about last year, right? Everyone's like, oh, poor UCLA, you know, Garcia, Nichols, they're with the Olympic team. They're just, they're not going to be able to defend. Boom. Megan Faramo comes out and his lights out in Clearwater just sets the tone. I mean, she was stellar. I, I, I love Megan Faramo. I love the way she moves the ball, locates the ball and a great leader in the circle just has that really good demeanor. So Megan Faramo is our fourth All-American pitcher. All right, and Holly Rowe, had, we, we gave Holly three utility spots to fill. Tough task, Holly, but who you got? It is a tough task because I'm going to go with four. I'm going to use my flex <gasps> to the max because I just thought of someone that I had left out and I don't want to. So I'm going to start out with Shelby Sanceri, um, an NFCA All-American last year, 5'10 junior out of LSU, a terrific uh, 1.20 ERA. I think she could be the player of the year in the SEC this year. She is really terrific. I love her mental makeup, so I couldn't leave her off. 
I am also going to use in my position because she swings the bat. The two-time national player of the year, Rachel Garcia, needs no introduction. I am very curious, though, to see while she was kind of going back and forth between the Olympic team and the Olympics are being postponed, what kind of training has she had and how's that been interrupted and has she overworked? You know, Rachel, she's always doing extra cardio, extra leg work. So I'm hoping that her body and, and she's in a great position with a very unusual training year. Then uh, uh, Jocelyn Allo, um, hitting 427, the crusher for Oklahoma will be also on my utility list. She had um, in 24 games last year, eight home runs, 21 RBI in just 24 games. And we cannot leave out Jesse Harper from Arizona. She is 19 home runs away from tying Lauren Chamberlain's all-time record. She needs 16 to tie the program record of Arizona of Katiana Mauga with 92 home runs. So Jesse Harper, also someone to keep an eye on in that utility spot. So you've got power, you've got pitchers, you've got pitchers with power. I think we should uh, all agree that whenever we do an LSU game, Shelby Sunsiri will henceforth be called the flex to the max player. Um, and, uh, just a quick update, um, Jenny Dalton Hill, how many home runs does Jesse Harper have? I forget. We're going to say she's got 76, which is tied for 12th on the NC2A list and also tied with me. Ah, there it is. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, All can right. I add one? Can I add one little note about how, that? Because I think there's some anyway, controversy. How much rope do we give Holly Rowe on this? Is this oh. another player? What do you got? What do you no. got? No, Flex it's the Supermax. It's a technical, it's a technicality because I know last, last year during the COVID stay home period, we had like lengthy conversations about Jesse Harper. She's one of those super seniors that's coming back and should her records count because she's getting an extra season that nobody else would have gotten. And I wanted to bring up one special point to that. So people may not remember anybody who was, was um, leaving last year and graduating as a senior has had the option to come back to school. But Jesse Harper in a great article um, said, she's really grateful that Arizona decided to honor those super seniors. Yeah. USA Today shows that it could cost power five schools anywhere from 500,000 to $900,000 to bring those super seniors back for another season price of tuition, equipment, housing, travel, food. We saw some programs like Wisconsin not bring their super seniors back. So I think it's impactful that Arizona is, and a lot of softball teams are doing that and making the financial commitment to these young people that had their season canceled. That is your seven innings podcast preseason All-America team. Let's move down our lineup card from our super seniors, Jen Schroeder, to our, our newcomers, our, our Frosh 2.0, our sophomore lights, our upper rookies. Uh, who, should we, who should we keep an eye on? Some of these uh, redshirt freshmen we caught a glimpse of, but some of the new guys as well. All right, I want to give you guys three names for our super freshmen, under sophomores, whatever we want to call them. We've got Kinsey Hansen from Oklahoma, who just started the season on absolute fire last year. We saw her play a lot of first base. Rumor has it she's going to be doing more catching this year. So I'll be interested to see how that impacts Oklahoma's lineup. Then we've got Maya Brady, whose uncle just won his seventh Super Bowl. She's number seven, lucky number seven, a big family moment for them. And then one of my favorite freshmen from last year was Taylor Pleasance from LSU. She made some incredible plays in the infield. To me, she was just so fun to watch. She had so much swagger. And as a young player, she was a leader. 
All right, now for our true freshmen. Just got done with high school. I wanna give you all four names to listen for. So one, Jada Coleman. She's gonna be at Oklahoma and guys, they have been waiting for her for so long. She committed at like 12 years old. Uh, she, I, I remember watching her, this is how old I am, at 11 years old when the 12U National Championship at, as a left-handed shortstop. She was just incredible. Um, and then Bailey Dowling from Alabama, those two were actually teammates on the junior USA team. Uh, so Bailey Dowling going to be a great player at Alabama. And then two from the pack in Alyssa Burrito and Carly Scoopin. Um, Alyssa Palomina Cordoza, I, I talked to her before this call, and she said that Carly Scoopin can, and I quote, hit. And when Alyssa's talking that way about you, that's something special. Carly's a six foot from the left side. She just rakes. And I'm excited to watch those four play. Is scooping good with the glove? Like I can already imagine the announcers having some fun with that. I mean, is she good with the glove? Let's be honest. Uh, to, uh, to be continued. I'm not sure. I know she can hit. We'll see what she can do with the glove. <laughs> I'm going to say coach Candrea said about Carly scooping that um, she could be one of the best power hitters that have come through Arizona. So I'm just going to say those are big shoes to fill, but I'm excited to see her play. Oh boy. That that's, some, that's some high praise uh, with uh, you know, as our, our new producer Cropper uh, told us earlier, I mean, uh, practically half the people on the all-time list are former Arizona Wildcats. Uh, of course, on top is a former Oklahoma Sooner. And, and those of us that have, chatted with Patty Gasso this offseason. She thinks this freshman class can be as significant as the group uh, a few years back that won two national championships and played for a third. Some folks to watch some of the newcomers in college softball. I think it's time to cue that music, the favorite theme song that Holly Rowe has ever heard. This week on Shaggin' Stats. 100. That is 100 games this weekend on ESPN Family of Networks, platforms, linear, digital, you name it. Check out your ESPN app. If you want to watch softball, which I think we are all craving, I'm so hungry for softball, 100 games available. Can't think of a better way to get things started this weekend. Yeah, that Amanda, what you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go. That's, um, amazing for a sport and really exciting. Uh, and so you were talking about this week and well, I'm going to take you back to the fact that it's been 618 days since, uh, we've crowned a national champion. So still UCLA are the defending national champs and it was 618 days. Like how did, how have we even lived without crowning another national champion? It's just, it's so hard. Kayla, what's yours? Yeah. I mean, I am so excited and there's going to be going to bouncing off of Holly's is there's going to be nine top 25 matchups this weekend, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think we're all craving those really, really solid games. And I'm really like going to circle that Texas tournament with Arizona and Alabama this weekend. It's going to be all in the Longhorn network, a lot of action for you. And I'm going to be hooked to my TV all weekend. And I'm so excited. Kayla, I can't wait for this weekend. I think all of us have been hungry for it. So 618 days seems like a lot, Amanda, but Hey, it all starts tomorrow. So my shagging stat for this um, episode is the transfer portal. Right now there's 9,890 total athletes in the transfer portal. Of that, there are 246 current softball athletes sitting in the portal. And just remember, going into the portal doesn't mean that they get to play. If you look at the numbers, 44 athletes were only able to come out of that portal. So 
going in the portal is not a magic place to get to play, but right now everybody's looking forward to a great season with those who are out of that portal. Wow, those are big numbers, Jenny. Um, I'm going to go with a little bit smaller number, and that number is 10. Um, and for the uh, USA Softball Top 50 Player Watch List, 10 of those 50 are going to be playing in the Texas Classic that's coming up this weekend on the Longhorn Network. So uh, check it out. You get to see some uh, really good slingers and whackers going to be playing some ball in, in Austin. And I just want to give some love to somebody who's on that list, on the top 50 player list, but is from a school we didn't talk about at all in this podcast. JMU's Kate Gordon led the entire country with a 557 average. Last year, she's coming back. So I just want to give her a little love and let everyone know I'm excited to see what she does with the bat this year. Mm-hmm. Just when I thought we were going to name this episode Zoomers and Boomers, Smitty comes up with Whackers, and now I'm conflicted. Uh, Here is my shagging stat with Louisiana opening up the season in the top 10. The last group of five program to win the national championship got to go back to 1998 and Fresno State. Can the Rajon Cajon break through this year for the group of five and get that national championship? That was shagging stat. We have reached the uh, the bottom of the order, folks. Time to get it started. Uh, Kim, the PR superstar, and our uh, our crack staff of programmers have put together a, a big weekend for us. I know um, Smitty and Scarborough are going to be there, and uh, you guys will start cashing those checks when we when when do we have softball? Thursday till Sunday, is that right, Scarborough? Yep, that's right. I think it's. 12 games, 14 games, Michelle. I kind of this up the other day, but um, 12, 12 games that we'll have on Longhorn Network. And Michelle gets a call tomorrow. Michelle, what's that game that starts tomorrow? It's, you don't even have to wait until Friday. You can catch a game tomorrow. What is it, Michelle? Oh, it's 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 not too bad as well. It's uh, just, you know, Arizona, Texas. So, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> How about what that time? for opening day game? Yeah. <laughs> Check your local listings for the Longhorn Network because it's Texas, Arizona, Alabama, Colorado State, and Sam Houston State all uh, settling into Austin. Hopefully the weather will agree. Uh, we, we have uh, left the on-deck circle, ladies, and have stepped into the batter's box. Those pitchers are, I'm sorry, are you taking your signals still off the rubber or have you already stepped on the rubber to check your wristbands? It's time to get going. On, on. It's time to get going, and we are looking forward to being with you this entire season. At 7 Innings Podcast on your social media, folks, uh, send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you about our uh, preseason All-America team and what excites you about the brand new season with the Zoomers and the Boomers. We missed you, everyone. We missed you so much.